Welcome in to a Monday morning edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. He is Alex Wolf, and we continue with our player reviews, talking two members of the Knicks backcourt who were never on the team at the same time. Yeah, we're talking about Dennis Smith Jr. and Tim Hardaway Jr., the juniors. Uh, as Gavin said, they never crossed paths, but they each left their own mark on the Knicks season. Obviously, they were involved in the same transaction, which is why they never crossed paths together. But we're going to talk a little bit about Dennis Smith, about the season that was for him with the Knicks after getting here uh, post-trade deadline, and Tim Hardaway Jr. and the season that was for him before he was traded away at the trade deadline, and also talk a little bit about DSJ's future uh, going forward. So all that and more coming up on Locked on you are Knicks. Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind, counting at one. What he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives. Becomes infectious. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, your favorite, we hope, New York Knicks podcast. But it shouldn't be your only favorite podcast to come out of the Locked On Network. Fantasy football players, you should make sure to listen to Vinny Iyer and Locked On Fantasy Football. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football. That's almost longer than I've been alive. Don't listen to the same stuff as everyone else. Then you are the same. Get the edge from Vinny. That will put you ahead on draft day and put you ahead all season long. Locked on Fantasy Football on your favorite podcast provider. Alex, I have a draft coming up in a few weeks. It's in a very serious league. There are very serious repercussions to not winning the league. Frank Kaminsky of the Phoenix Suns made an intro video for this league this year. And he encouraged a particularly vicious punishment for whoever loses. So I'm going to listen to Vinny Iyer and I'm going to make sure that I don't lose the league, and I don't have to deal with the punishment. That can't be talked about on air. Oh, is it really that bad? It's it's pretty bad. I, can I was going to say, because I have a league I yeah. have a league that I've commissioned for, not to, not to derail into fantasy football talk for too long, yeah. but I've been commissioner of my league now since I got out of college. I started mm-hmm. it with some of my college friends and some other friends. And so, damn, what year are we on now? This is like year, oh, let's tally up how old I am. This is year Seven. Oh my goodness. Uh, and our, we have a championship belt if you win. And also, like, it's a 10 player league. We do $100 each. So it's $1,000 total pot that gets split up a number of ways. But the other thing is, we have a quote unquote trophy for the loser that I made myself. That is a, um, I'll keep it PG rated, a, uh, adult bedroom enhancer glued to a wood board. Um, and, and that's our trophy <laughs> for my league. I won't, I won't say what the thing is. People can use their imagination, but that's our, that's our trophy. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's my fantasy football league. So I certainly will be listening to Vinny as well to try to make sure that I don't come in last place because I never have and I never plan to, to be totally honest. Yeah. Uh, but Gavin, why don't you start us off on the first of our juniors here, Dennis Smith Jr.? 
Sure, natural transition. Uh, dildos to Dennis Smith. <laughs> hey, I, I was trying to be clean and not say. Yeah, sure, I know. I'm just that's me and I don't. I have no idea what's on the board. Uh, you were correct. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and 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 to be fair, Dennis Smith Jr. was was kind of a dildo after a great start on the Knicks. He had 31 and eight on 15 shots against the Detroit Pistons. I think that was his, like second game as a Nick, and then he was he's largely pretty bad. The counting stats were good: 15, five and three, 41 percent from the field, 29. Uh, well, yeah, here's where they get that. 41% from the field, 29% from three, uh, 57% from the charity stripe. And he, he did, let's, he had some awesome moments. Like he had some of the best, like, in terms of single plays, he had like probably three of, or four of the top five Knicks. I shouldn't say that because Mitch was on the roster. He, he had, he had a bunch of the top plays in the next season with some incredibly acrobatic dunks. And if you just watch the highlights, you'd be convinced that Okay, he, he's what's next for the New York Knicks. He's their point guard of the future, and they are set with him. Um, the shooting numbers are what give me a lot of pause on that front. And overall, I was a little bit disappointed with how he played after he came over as – you can make an argument with the two first-round picks, but we'll say in terms of intangible players, the centerpiece of the Chris Stapps-Porzingis trade, I, I was hoping in a Knicks offense where he was totally empowered, didn't have to uh, share the ball with a Luka Doncic type of wing, I, I really was set on the idea. He was going to be able to put up 20 points per game. He was going to be pretty consistent. He was going to get to the free throw line eight times a night. And I, I didn't expect the efficiency to be out of this world, but I was hoping for a guy who's that explosive around the bucket that he was going to shoot about 45% from the field and hopefully a little bit over 30% from three. And he just didn't get anywhere close to any of those benchmarks. And he seemed largely like the same guy he was in Dallas his rookie year. Yeah, I mean, the the big problem to me was that Fisdale, you know, like he did it with other players at certain points during the year, didn't really give DSJ a ton of structure all the time. Um, and I feel like that hurt him. Like, how is your first thought not to just, like, hammer the pick and roll with, you know, DSJ and Mitch? And I feel like they didn't do that enough. You know, like, that would have been money. Like, just do that all the time. Like, just run pick and roll with Mitch and DSJ and, like, you know, just profit. You know what I mean? And I just feel like they didn't do that as much as they should have. It's also worth noting, like, you know, he had the game against the Pistons with the 31 points and eight assists, and he did it on only 15 shots because he got, like, a million free throw attempts in that game. But, like, realistically, he could have scored, like, you know, 40-something points in that game, but he just, his free throw just, like, broke right before our eyes in that game. And for whatever reason, beyond that Pistons game and for the whole rest of the season, I mean, maybe maybe that was just kind of the, the pinnacle, and then we just started noticing it more. But he had this, like, serious hitch in his shot, and it really affected his ability to shoot from the perimeter. It affected his free throw shooting. And, like, I feel like whether, whether we're, you know, I don't know for sure that it affects players' mentality, but I feel like when you're shooting that poorly from the free throw line, it affects your mindset as far as, like, getting to the line because, you know, then Smith would try to get off his shot more cleanly or whatever but wouldn't draw contact as much, I don't think, uh, probably because he knew that his free throws just were not falling. So luckily he's been working on that shot during the off season. it seems like. Um, but the biggest thing with me was that was worrisome was that, you know, the jump shot really, for a large part of last year after he came to the Knicks, looked like truly broken, and, and that's a little concerning to me. Yeah. It he it was just never consistent. There would be stretches where it would look pretty decent, and I think his shot isn't – it certainly isn't broken in the way 
Alonzo Balls or um, Andre Roberson, shout out to him, mentioned for the second straight Locked On Knicks podcast, um, the way those guys' shots are broken. But it just – it wasn't consistent. And that's – I mean, I guess we're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but that's allegedly what uh, DSJ has worked on this offseason and what he's, – he's been with Keith Smart and I think his personal coach, and he's worked with Chris Paul some, and, and just trying to get that shot to look the same way every single time. Um, what, what I noticed when I went back and, and studied his mechanics is he would sort of dip his elbow on a lot of his shots, and he wasn't consistently straight, and his follow-through wasn't always going straight up in the air, which is a big no-no, and it, it just sort of seemed like he would like lose energy at points and kind of rely on the fact that his, his lower body was so strong and he would get off the ground decently. But if he can just get that shot consistent, he's such a good athlete, and he does. He clearly doesn't have great touch, but he also doesn't have horrible touch. I, I don't. I don't see a reason why he shouldn't be a seventy-five percent foul shooter and a thirty-five percent shooter from three-point range. And you know what? If it doesn't happen this year at a certain point, you just have to accept. Okay, he's he's not that good, and it's never going to happen. But when people want to be favorable about Dennis Smith Jr., they throw out Kemba Walker's stats from his first two years in the NBA, where his efficiency numbers were, were largely. Very similar to Smith's, and now the big difference difference there that Smith is just on an entirely different level athletically than Kemba. I, I don't think he's nearly as skilled, but if you want to look for a positive sign, that, that's sort of the trajectory you'd hope for. But the whole thing with that is he has to show it next year that he's a completely different player. Yeah, he he really does, and you know I, I do think I I was actually like pleasantly surprised by some other aspects of his game. So I guess that's like encouraging, but you know, you definitely have to, he has to work on his handle and he has to work on his shooting, which obviously are two very important uh, attributes for a point guard. He really, he has nothing uh, like he doesn't have to do a thing about explosiveness and natural physical gifts. Cause he has those like crazy. Um, I think he does have to find some sort of workout routine to maintain his body because you shouldn't be having back problems as like a, you know, 20, 21 year old. Uh, so that's a, a, that was a little bit worrisome that he was running into back issues, you know, in his second year in the league. Um, but like, it, you know, I, I thought he actually showed a decent amount of passing ability, um, especially like passing out of drives and stuff like that, uh, more than I really thought that he was going to show. Like he was, I remember there were podcasts that we would do where he was, you know, I, I would remark that, you know, he had five, six assists and I didn't even realize he had five, six assists. And I think that that's, you know, one of the better signs of like a good passer when they're, you, you can't even remember when they're getting these assists because they just look so routine. Um, and he definitely had some of that going on. And I thought like while his on ball defense isn't the best in the world, his off ball defense and like ball denial was actually really good. And his like anticipation and passing lanes and stuff, he had a number of really nice steals and stuff like that. So, uh, all in all, I was, you know, I, I think there was to me, Gavin, I think there's enough out there to say that he could be a player going forward. Like he could definitely like evolve into a starting point guard for the Knicks. Um, and in particular this year where his only competition is like Alfred Payton and Frank Nilakina. Like, I definitely think he could snatch the starting job and hold on to it. Um, but it, you know, he's going to definitely need to show some improvement. And obviously we can talk about that in the next segment about what we think he's going to do this year. But I think he showed some real flashes this year. Yeah, and the positive elements of his game were, were obviously the the flashbulb athleticism, but also his court vision, and it was it was particularly noticeable 
in those early games, his ability to sort of on the fly throw those one-handed cross-court passes with some velocity on them. And it wasn't, I, I wouldn't say the reads were, were quite at the speed and, and the level of difficulty that you see some of the top point guards in the NBA make where it just, I mean, it's the guys who are literally the best in the world at doing that. But it, it was just a notch below on some of them. And, and that's clearly an area of strength for him. And on a team where not a whole lot of shooting, but it is loaded with scoring, I would hope those assist numbers go up a little bit this year, especially if he's in the starting lineup and he's consistently playing with Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson, who will presumably take another step forward offensively this year, and a pretty good outside shooter in Marcus Morris. I I just I want to see more of that and more consistent and, and see it more consistently because you do see the flashes and I think he has it in him to be an eight nine assist per game guy but it's sort of the same thing we're talking about with the shooting it, it just it's all hypothetical and, until he gets out there and does it. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. We'll take our first break and then come back. We'll prognosticate a little bit about DSJ going into this season and, uh, you know, try to make some predictions as far as what we think might happen with him uh, in the 2019 to 2020 season when we get back to Locked On Knicks. All right, welcome back into Locked On Knicks, talking Dennis Smith Jr., uh, the year that was, but now we're actually going to talk a little bit about the year to come for Dennis Smith Jr. We're going to have some more uh, player previews and season previews as we get closer to the season actually starting, but it's fun to look forward a little bit with DSJ right now. And see kind of what, you know, what we're feeling before things start shaking out, uh, you know, leading towards training camp and stuff. Gavin, I, I don't know about you. Like, I think, I think based off how they treated DSJ last year, the fact that he was like the centerpiece in the Porzingis trade, I think that the starting point guard job is probably his to lose during this offseason. Uh, I think that he's like, He's definitely going to have Fisdale's attention as the guy that he, like, wants to start at point guard. But if Peyton soundly outplays him in camp and stuff, Peyton could potentially, you know, take his spot. But I think as long – I don't know, like, workout videos are, you know, not worth putting too much stock into. But I don't know if you've seen the workout videos with DSJ during this offseason. But he's definitely putting work into his form. Uh, I've seen it. It looks – to me, a little more compact, and he doesn't have that hitch quite as much. Um, and he seems to be getting rid of the ball faster, which is part of eliminating that hitch. So I feel at least a little encouraged about his shooting ability. Um, you know, like I said, there's only so much you can take away from, you know, the black ops scrimmages or whatever with Mello and those guys and, yeah. um, you know, various, like, shooting videos that he's uploading on Instagram and stuff. But I, I feel at least a little bit of optimism going into this year and I hope that he can take a leap because you know like I said in the last segment I do think he has baseline skills across the board in pretty much everything but shooting and maybe a little bit in finishing uh that he just needs to work on this offseason and he can maybe be primed for a breakout yeah um I'm, I'm with you I, I want to give him a clean slate coming into the year because I think and I, I've been I've been a little bit unfair to him because I, I if anyone who listened to the last two shows knows I'm a big Frank Stan. I I just don't have the same attachment to DSJ, even though actually I, I like him as a person. I think he seems like a good dude. He, he has some incredible moments. He's just not really my type of player in the same way Frank is. And I it, it, it is it, it's unfair, but 
again, I go back to what I was talking about last show, where the Knicks had this team built around score first guys, like a whole bunch of wings. Like, is there going to be any point this year where they don't have a shooting guard, small forward, and power forward on the floor that don't need the ball in their hands to be successful? Maybe if they end up playing Reggie Bullock and Wayne Ellington big minutes, or if Frank surprisingly breaks into the rotation in a meaningful way. But outside of that, they have all these guys, all these score first guys, and you're telling me your your point guard, your prize gem of the future, is also going to be a score first dude. It, it it it's more of a fit issue than anything else. And and here's the thing: if Dennis Smith Jr. makes a big jump and he's significantly better next year, then none of that matters because that means he's going to be one of the next three or four best players, and he's going to be someone deserving of having the ball in their hand. But that shooting ability improving is so so crucial because he's going to be put in a situation even more so than last year or at least at least on the Knicks where he's going to have to be an off-ball shooter and an RJ Barrett and Alonzo Trier a Marcus Morris a Julius Randle is going to drive to the basket draw a double team they're going to kick it out to DSJ someone's going to be closing hard on him and he's going to have to make that shot more often than not and if he doesn't I I just I don't know if he's a long-term fit on this team and if that's the situation, I, I wonder if they trade him and what his value would be. And, and it's certainly, it, it's such a variable because it's so contingent on, on how much he flashes. And it's sort of the same paradox with, with Frank Nilakina. Like he only has value if he gets better. And if he gets better, then you don't want to trade him. So I, I guess I'm, I'm almost talking myself out of it. But just because of his athletic ability, I almost think there's a little bit more wiggle room with him than there is with Frank where he could be somewhat disappointing next year, and there might be another team willing to take a chance on him, even though it would be his third stop in three seasons. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that necessarily he doesn't have value right now either. I mean, he didn't put up horrific numbers on the Knicks. You know what I mean? Like his shooting numbers, like his three-point percentage went down from his rookie year, but his overall field goal percentage went up about two points from his rookie year, um, just for like his time on the Knicks versus his whole rookie year with Dallas. Uh, he, you know, he averaged like about 15 points, like five and a half assists. I mean, he, he basically just held the line, you know what I mean? For it, like his numbers in Dallas were worse than, you know, his rookie year, although his percentages were a little better. Uh, but his numbers with the Knicks, at least as far as averages and stuff are concerned, um, were actually about in line with his rookie year. So I don't know necessarily that his, his like value is so low that, it would be akin to what Frank's is at right now, where Frank really hasn't shown like anything on offense. Um, and, you know, I think some team could probably be enticed to go after him. If, if push came to shove, like you could trade him for a late first round pick or something. Like if, if some team uh, had their starting point guard get hurt, who's like a, you know, a fringe playoff team or something like that, you can maybe talk them into trading a first round pick for him. If they felt strong enough about him and he had a decent, uh, season with the Knicks, but you know, it's like you said, we talked about this on the last show. Um, you know, if he gets good enough to trade for like a first round pick, you know, or something like that, then why not just keep him? Cause then you have a good player on your hands. Um, I feel like the Knicks and I, I feel like though the Knicks also, you know, particularly with DSJ versus Frank, DSJ clearly, like you said, fits their mold better of like a score first guy who's going to look to be aggressive and, this, that, and the other, and, you know, I think that's going to that's gonna always kind of give them starry eyes and not make them want to trade him, 
or even really entertain it, you know, while he's still on his rookie deal, at least. Um, maybe, maybe his last year of his rookie deal, if they would like, you know, decide that they didn't want to re-up him and pay him whatever they thought he was going to get in the offseason, maybe they'd try to deal him. But, you know, I, I can't see them even entertaining the idea this coming year because I think that he's really, they looked at him, they didn't just look at him as like some guy that they got back in the Porzingis deal. They looked at him as like a legitimate piece that they got back. Yeah. And, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think they they clearly value him, and it'll be it, it'll be telling who the opening point guard is on opening night, uh, whether it's him or Alfred Payton, who is somehow <laughs> it's incredible how much bad shooting the Knicks have collected at the point guard position. He's, he's he's like the one guy in the NBA who's clearly worse than DSJ, and really in the same conversation as Frank in terms of perimeter shooting. And it, it'll be, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll get a little more insight in the preseason, but I think we'll know very, very quickly how much Dennis Smith Jr. has improved as a shooter. Because if it's substantial, I, I just think for everything that uh, Alfred Payton brings as a passer and in terms of overall versatility and as a defender, I just, I don't think you can justify starting him over Smith if Smith is looking like he's going to be a 35% three-point shooter because the Knicks just, so desperately need that floor balance in terms of shooting and, and starting a complete non-shooter at the point guard spot is really a terrible option. That being said, if DSJ doesn't improve, then they're not going to have another choice. And you might as well just go with the best overall guy. And last season, you can certainly make a case that that was Alfred Payton. Um, all right, let's, uh, we're, we're, we're about to go to break, but Alex, I want to give you a second to chime in on that. Who, who do you think is the opening night starting point guard? I think it's Dennis Fitt Jr. I mean, unless the only way that I don't see it being Dennis Fitt Jr. starting a point on opening night is if Alfred Payton, like, legitimately, like, lights him up, you know, in preseason. Like, if DSJ is, like, super struggling and Alfred's, like, completely tearing it up, like, I could see them sitting DSJ because Fisdale is going to come in with that same, like, keep what you kill, you know, mentality or whatever. Yeah. And, and you know, he would – at least for the first, you know, couple games of the season, as we saw last year, you know, Fisdale probably this year again is going to be like, well, you know, we got so many new players. I need the first like 20 games to figure things out. You know, he's probably going to do that again. Um, even though last year that clock kind of ran out and then he never actually settled on a starting lineup the whole rest of the year. But, uh, yeah, I think it's Dennis Fisk's job to lose. And as long as he doesn't like totally, you know, put up a goose egg in preseason, he should be the opening night starter. All right. Uh, with that, let's take a quick break. Come back and review Tim Hardaway Jr.'s final last final season in orange and blue. That next on Locked on Knicks. All right. We talked Dennis Smith Jr. to complete the pair. We will go over the man that he was in part traded for. Tim Hardaway Jr. averages as a Nick last year, 19 points per game. Three and a half rebounds a night, just under three assists on uh, not particularly um, sterling shooting numbers. 39% from the field, just under 35% from three, and 85% from the line. Alex, you highlighted this. His best game of the season probably came on opening night. 31 points, six rebounds, five assists against the Hawks. Shot the ball pretty well, and, and the Knicks actually won. You can, you can make a case it was his... Last meaningful game on the Knicks. 
Yeah, that that first game, I remember. I mean, I freaked out. I was like, "Oh my god, maybe the Knicks are better than we thought." Uh, but you know, it turned out the Hawks were just really awful to start the year, and they picked it up. And the Knicks started off, you know, on that high mountain and immediately jumped into a crater uh, right after that first game and never really looked back. Um, you know, I, I just I think uh, I, I thought that that was his best game. He had some other better scoring games. Uh, he had some other better efficiency games and things of that nature. Like he shot 45% uh, or 45.5% against the Hawks in that game. But uh, it was just, I just remember being like, oh my God, like did Tim Hardaway like find another like gear for this year? Like, are we going to be all right? Like, are things going to be cool? Because at that point, things were totally different. You were thinking like, oh, if if they can sort of like keep it together by like January, maybe Porzingis is going to come back, you know, because at that point, you didn't realize that he was going to be kept out the whole year uh, or be traded for that matter. But um, yeah, it was just like a totally different time. And, and it just like inspired this like weird amount of hope that we all always get at the very beginning of the season. If things, you know, start off going right. But like overall, as far as Hardaway is concerned, I think, I think he did about as well as he could have with the hand he was dealt with the Knicks. Like Tim Hardaway is nobody's first option. He's, probably not even anybody's second option in an ideal world. Like ideally you want him being no better than your third option um, on a, on a decent team, you know, on a, on an actual good team, he's probably your fourth option at best. Um, just cause the, the inefficiencies there, like he's, he's limited off the dribble. Um, you know, he could do a little bit to get to, you know, get to the cup and like, you know, uh, you know, work his way around a defender and maybe draw free throws from time to time. But by and large, his game is like outside shooting and, you know, like outside shooting and maybe a little bit of cutting. And that's basically it. Um, he's not much of a playmaker. Um, defense has never been a strong point of his. He's gotten to at least the point where he's about league average at this point. So like that's a plus. Um, and that was thanks to the Hawks, uh, you know, and, and Mike Budenholzer when he was with the Hawks. But like. All in all, you know, he was thrust into this this lead scoring role and this, like, leadership role and, like, the every night starter. Like, he was, like, the one starter that you could always count on starting any given night. Uh, everything else was just kind of like a, you know, a merry-go-round as far as every other position on the floor. So, you know, like I said, I, I think he did well with what he was given, but he was always going to be inefficient. And, you know, in general, like put up pretty atrocious, like shooting numbers from the field and to his credit, actually shot decent from three with the Knicks, you know, shot about 35%. But other than that, like, you know, he, he, he was thrust into a role that wasn't made for him. And that's, you know, I don't know. I keep coming back to that because that's basically, that's just how I feel. You know, like it was a, it was just such a weird year for him because I thought that he actually did well but if you look back on this year without context you would be like wow he sucked and he was like super inefficient and I feel kind of bad for him in that respect because like he really did do the best with the hand he was dealt yeah uh yeah I I guess in terms of perception um I'm with you and he he had he had some good moments as a scorer it was just it it just I mean you you summed it up perfectly you 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 don't want to be in a situation where as an NBA team where, where Tim Hardaway Jr. is clearly your number one option and I guess my big thing with him is I'm I'm sort of 
just these it, it, it was just ever as, as I noted everything that happened with him on the Knicks is just so irrelevant from basically that opening game on last season. I mean, really, you could say for his entire Knicks career, even though they didn't know it when they gave him that. I mean, ultimately ridiculous contract um, coming from Atlanta, but it was just it was it was just it like nothing he did mattered and. He's the type of player where if you're in a situation where you're going to lose a lot of games, he's just going to chuck and he's not going to do a lot else. And it, it was, it was tough to watch at points. And then simultaneously there were stretches where he'd get hot and you'd be like, okay, this is the only thing keeping me engaged in this game is that Tim Hardaway has made five threes in this quarter and he's the only guy in the Knicks who looks like a functional NBA player on the offensive end of the floor. I'm curious what his future is. Going forward on this Dallas team that, I mean, if uh, everyone cover your ears, if Kristaps Porzingis is healthy and good next year, looks to be a playoff team in the Western Conference or certainly competing for an eighth seed. And I'm, I'm just intrigued if he can be an integral player on a good team or if his destiny is just to be like an empty stats guy on a bad team. And I'm, I'm kind of I, I don't think there's no reason he shouldn't be like a decent six man. For Dallas, but I'm just curious to see if he can actually pull it off. And if in like, because our theory was always, okay, if you give him a more limited role with good players around him, those shooting numbers will go up and he'll be around 45% from the floor and around 38% from three. And, and if you wanted, if you want him to be that guy where he really is valuable on a playoff team, he has to shoot like that because he's so bad defensively. He's so mediocre in every other aspect of the game. You need that level of shooting from him. And I'm, I'm curious to see if he has that within him. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, you said six man. I don't like. I look. I'll be telling you, I don't. I don't want to talk about Dallas much at all. But sure. if I'm looking at their roster, like I think he's probably their starting shooting guard next yeah. year. I mean, he's. I think he's definitely going to be a starter. And you know, literally what we were just saying about you want him to be. You know, if you're planning on being a good team, you don't want him to be any better than your third option. Well, he'll be exactly that. I mean, it would be it would be Doncic, Porzingis, Hardaway, and that's. That's it. You know, like those would be your three top scores, presumably, because they really, I mean, outside of those three, they're going to be really hard pressed for like good, consistent scoring. Just looking at their roster right now, like, I don't know, Dwight Powell, I guess, like averaged, you know, 10 and a half points last year. Uh, other than that, like not and Seth Curry, they just added who's going to give some three point shooting off the bench. But I mean, there's not a ton of scores on that team. Um, so he's going to be relied on, you know, definitely is probably a 15 point per game score on them next year. And I, I would think that for them to be any good, he's, you know, it's even as much as Porzingis and his health is a thing like Tim Hardaway, finding some efficiency in that like tertiary role is going to be pretty important to them as well. And if he can't do that, I mean, maybe you slot Courtney Lee in there and maybe Courtney Lee would be more efficient like he used to be. Uh, but it's, it's going to have to be one of those two former Knicks that's going to have to give them like that that three-point shooting and that, like, tertiary, like, scoring punch. And I think Hardaway probably could do it. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I wish I wish I had more. I don't really I don't really have a lot else to say about Tim Hardaway Jr. Do you, do you have any, any closing thoughts on the era that was after he started off a Nick, was pretty promising, went to Atlanta, Steve Mills said, you know what, we're going to pay you $20 million more than any other team in the NBA. Came back, was, was I guess, justified the contract if you only want to look at his scoring numbers, but ultimately it was it was just another guy in like a long line of just score first dudes who didn't really impact winning all that much for the Knicks. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. I mean the contract at the time I felt like 
I, I felt like it was kind of dumb because Steve Mills handed it out himself, and it seemed like more like it was like a statement of like, keep me around. You just got rid of Phil Jackson, but look at these moves I can make. Yeah. And, and you know, I was like, all right, but they clearly were like trying to hold on to him or else they would have just fired him when they fired, you know, Phil Jackson. And, you know, Steve Mills has this run with the garden now at this point with like a brief uh, period in the middle where he wasn't there. But I mean, he's been with, he's been with like MSG for years now. I mean, it's been like 15 years or, or more with a little break in between, but like, I don't know. I feel like he didn't have any like job, uh, insecurity to worry about, but he just kind of, it seemed like he handed out the deal just to be like, look, I'm making moves, like big, big, big moves. And then he handed out the deal to Ron Baker and then they hired Scott Perry. And then Perry was tasked with, you know, trading Mello and everything else. And now of course, eventually trading Hardaway just a year later. Uh, but yeah, I, I always felt, you know, like I said, I always felt kind of bad for Hardaway because the Knicks paid him what they had to, to get Atlanta to match. I never bought that report that Atlanta was not going to match anything higher than like four years, 45 million or something like that. Like I always thought that was bull. Um, that's easy to say after the fact, when you want to make yourself look good and make the Knicks look bad for offering that much money. But I guarantee you, they probably paid about, you know, six, 7 million more than what Atlanta was willing to, you know, give him or match on him for, but they had to do that just to, you know, secure him. And you have to kind of take that chance if you feel strongly about a player, uh, whether it was right to feel strongly about him or not is another story, but um, it wasn't his fault that he got handed that contract. I thought he did his best as he could on the Knicks, and that's just kind of how I'll remember him. I seriously doubt he'll be back for a third tour of duty with the Knicks, but you know, <laughs> somewhere down the line he comes back again and you know fulfills the uh, OKAC prophecy. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be opposed because I actually I I thought he was a good dude and I thought he was a good player, and I think in the right role he can actually be a pretty good NBA player. Yeah, I just, I just, I think it'd be funny if he, if he had one more, like when he's like 30, I, I want him when he's 35. I, I hope, I hope he, he, whether in Dallas or somewhere else, he, he develops into a great role player. He wins a title or two. And then when he's over the hill, the Knicks, uh, Knicks hand him a couple of million, just, just as a thank you. Um, with that, we will wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. I am currently on work slash vacation, work vacation, I guess, in, Austin, Texas, and then uh, doing a tour of the West Coast, so the podcast might be a little bit more infrequent, but Alex will probably come back with a solo one this week, and then uh, once I wrap up uh, the job I'm currently working on, uh, which is, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get another chance to talk about this, so I'll, I'll mention it now. Um, if there are any Syracuse fans listening, and I presume there are, and you know, we're on the East Coast, so all these teams, I'm, I'm broadcasting um, four Syracuse games, a... Seton Hall game, a Georgetown game, and a Xavier game. So if you're fans of any of those teams, you can uh, check it out on uh, flowhoops.com. Uh, there's a bar on the east side of Manhattan. I think it's called the East End Bar and Grill that are that is airing the Syracuse games. If, if you want to check me out, or more specifically, if you're a Syracuse fans, you can go watch for free. Um, important qualifier. Uh, They're playing uh, four teams in Italy that there is no information about online, and the team itself does not know anything about. So we'll see how that goes, but it should be fun. And then we'll be back uh, later that week with more broadcasts, more player reviews, um, getting into a lot more guys like uh, the bigs for the Knicks, DeAndre Jordan, Ennis Cantor, Luke Cornett, a um, couple more role players, Danny Dotson and Noah Vonley. And then we start building up to the big guns, the Alonzo Triers, the Kevin Knox, the Mitchell Robinsons, and, of course, Emmanuel Moutier in what I can only imagine will be the most depressing segment 
in Locked On Knicks history. All that and more in the near future on Locked On Knicks.